Welcome to Mill Resource Radio, where we highlight military and veteran support organizations. Hear directly from organization leaders and those who've benefited from their services. Thousands of organizations exist, but if you don't know about them, how do you seek their help? Join us for discovery, access, and knowledge about effective military and veteran organizations sharing their missions and accomplishments directly with you. And now here are your hosts, Linda Crater and Les Davis. I'm Linda Crater, and I am delighted to bring our program to you this morning. Pamela Eggleston is joining me as co-host this morning. How are you this morning, Pam? I'm pretty good. How are you doing this morning, Linda? It's a good morning. I am very pleased about the topic we're going to be talking about today because I think it's something that I hear questions about all the time. I hear people talking as though they know what it is, but there's some confusion. And that topic is telehealth. And we're going to talk very specifically today, what is it? How does leveraging technology provide accessible and timely care for many situations and conditions? And how well is it received and used by service members, guard, reserve, veterans, etc.? I just want to make sure that we are giving ample time to our guest, Dr. Tim Hoyt, who is the Deputy Director of the National Center of Telehealth and Technology, known as T2. And Tim, we welcome you. It's very early where you are, so welcome to Military Network Radio. Thanks, Linda. It's great to be with you today. We are very happy to have this because, as I said, we work with military families all the time, and these are the types of questions that come up. So if you wouldn't mind, let's start with the most basic. What is telehealth? And how is it applied in general? All right. So broadly talking about telehealth is any leveraging of technologies to deliver health care, whether that's health information, uh, direct care from a uh, health care provider, or just health education at a distance. So at the National Center for Telehealth and Technology, we really focus on the use of things like video teleconferencing, web, mobile applications to deliver broad support. And and at our center, we focus on uh, uh, care for traumatic brain injury and psychological health issues. Okay. And so with TBI... And with psychological health, I'm presuming you're also talking about things like PTSD as well as other conditions. Is that correct? Exactly. Uh, the DOD and the VA are really the, the driving forces behind telehealth, and particularly with the focus on care for PTSD. I mean, it's been this invisible wound for the uh, entire war, the last decade. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the VA and DOD, they're really at the forefront of exploring all of the different technologies we can leverage to make sure that we're providing the best care possible for our service members and veterans. Well, I think it's an excellent use of technology, and you're also looking at a generation that is truly tech-savvy, and I imagine the acceptance is quite high. How is telehealth introduced into the healthcare plan for someone? Well, there's a lot of different means of healthcare delivery. Um, you have to think first about, you know, the, the direct care between a provider and um, the, uh, a patient that, that comes into the clinic, mm-hmm. right? So, so there are a lot of ways that you might be able to think about. If I were to go to uh, my family care physician and they needed to refer me to a specialist, um, 
that they may or may not have that specialist right there in the building with them. Um, a lot of specialty care is at your larger academic medical centers or, or places where these specialists can really hone their training. And so there's not going to be one of these specialists in every single primary care clinic. And so mm -hmm. the first avenue we've kind of got is this between clinics um, consultation model where um, you may go still to your doctor's office, but then be on a video teleconference with a provider who is somewhere else who can provide uh, a specialist opinion on a particular diagnosis or, or can provide a specialized treatment plan. Right. So then we expand from there, and there can also be physician-to-physician um, -physician consultation. Uh, for example, um, the, the DOD has been very good about rolling out teleradiology. Right? Even mm -hmm. when I was in Afghanistan, while I was on active duty, uh, we had teleradiology sites all over uh, the, the battlefield where uh, the radiologist who was centrally located, uh, there were not very many of them in the country, but you still had hundreds and hundreds of x-rays being done all over the place. And so then they were able to consult directly with a radiologist, for example, to say, yeah, this is broken or take some more films of this injury and you know, it, it would really be able to expand the provision of care for these uh, low-density specialists. You know, I think that is remarkable, the downrange use of teleradiology. It makes sense. What I found more surprising as I was preparing for this program was downrange use for psychological and behavioral health issues. Right. Uh, that's the, the same thing that I faced while I was in Afghanistan. While I was there, I was running a network of 11 telebehavioral health sites. So um, in, in the past, we would lose so much time trying to travel between forward operating bases, trying to get out to patients who were in geographically separated units, and leveraging telehealth allowed us to get out to those places where um, never before had there been that level of uh, care across the battle space. And there, there were so many ways to leverage that, too, with our paraprofessionals. So I might have several um, enlisted behavioral health technicians working with me where I could distribute them across our entire uh, footprint, and they could bring patients into the clinics, consult with me through our telehealth network, and then get a plan of treatment that they could implement there in person, leveraging then those good connections with having an in-person care provider, and then have me right there to consult with if anything came up, if any problems came up. And, and that really, for us, uh, alleviated a lot of the burden of uh, post-traumatic stress while we were there in theater. Uh, we were able to address a lot of these problems. It reduced the number of evacuations we had relative mm -hmm. to other units. And so, yeah, this is a capability that's really working well for the DOD, um, both in garrison and the deployed environments. You know, I think it's remarkable. I imagine it's also used in TBI downrange. Right. Uh, so often you'll, you'll have a service member who is in, say, a blast injury or um, they're not sure, is he healthy to return to duty? He may be getting a screen from his local unit medic or, um, you know, the physician's assistant that works with his unit, and access to a specialist, say a neurologist, um, can be very rare downrange. So in those cases where maybe the service member feels fine, but there, there are 
other things that have not yet been addressed or we have to rule out any other complicating factors, telehealth can then be leveraged to get an appointment with the centralized neurologist and, and make sure that well, before we return someone to duty after this kind of injury, that we know that we've covered all of our bases. You know, it's remarkable because I think that this is a being used downrange more. Are you finding, and I, is this still under study is the second part of the question, are you finding that when there is in-place downrange telehealth uh, consultations, um, use, utilizing the specialists, et cetera, are you finding better outcomes when someone returns to our country? Um, I think it's still an area that we're exploring. I mean, we, we okay. know at least that this has been able to improve the provision of care, that this has been able to reduce wait times and, and improve access to care, mm-hmm. uh, especially in those deployed settings, as well as in, you know, geographically separated areas here in the United States. And so, you know, we don't have all of the studies done, even though there have been over 100,000 studies on telehealth just in the last 10 years. Um, we're still waiting uh, to, to have that full picture of whether this is um, significantly returning them to duty faster. Returning them to duty faster or returning them back to home if they're injured more whole? That's what I'm looking for. Is, is this use um, when they're in service and come back and say someone has been injured and is medevaced out, is all of this diagnostic care by telehealth along the process assisting those who do treat when they come into Walter Reed or go to Launchstool? Is this all more or less giving a better seamless uh, transition of care from each phase, no matter where the person is along the care continuum? Yes, exactly. I mean, the the first piece that we need to make sure is in place is that early intervention, you know, mm-hmm. that, that we've reached all the way forward to the point of injury to make sure that, um, that that information has been communicated all the way across. I mean, take another example of telehealth where um, we had this challenge uh, earlier in the wars where we were still relying heavily on, you know, literally pieces of paper held to an injured patient with a little piece of wire to communicate any information. Now, those little pieces of paper could be pulled off when we're trying to get the patient onto a medevac helicopter. They could be dropped somewhere in a various clinic, and we couldn't communicate that information as efficiently and and as quickly as we could. Now, with all of these telehealth advances and leveraging technology, we're able to explore the ability to electronically store with the patient this information so that they're able to move from the point of injury to a battalion aid station to a role-free hospital, and, and that information goes with them. And so in that way, yes, I'd say we are definitely improving the ability to have that accurate diagnosis and the full picture uh, across the entire uh, continuum of care. That's remarkable because one of the other things I know happens when people do return, say they're coming back injured um, and they will be medically separated out, if you have all of those records in place before you come to an intake hospital, it really helps as you're taking the next steps, as you put together a recovery plan. And I imagine that the physicians here are, are really pleased about that option. Right. Here in Garrison, we've also explored, you know, leveraging these things for the Wounded Warrior Battalions. I mean, uh, one of the 
pilot programs that has really rolled out well has been the MCARE program, where we've had geographically separated uh, service members who are farther from uh, the Army hospitals and, and located in these community-based warrior transition units. And so there, our goal is to have them recovering as close to home as possible so that they're able to get all that good support from family Perfect. to be back among their support network. Great. And by Tim, leveraging these uh, mobile technologies... Tim, I'm terribly and sorry. We're managed. going on break. We're going to come back after a short message. We'll be right back. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Are you a family caregiver in the military community? Join us on VeteranCaregiver.com. In the military and veteran community, there are 5.5 million caregivers of our nation's injured, ill, and wounded. Whether your family member served in World War II or in the most recent Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts, there are unique needs of military and veteran caregivers. Navigating any medical system takes skill and help in obtaining good care. Veteran Caregiver has access to a rich network of advocates and organizations to assist you. Find excellent resources, short informative videos, an active Facebook community, and empathetic support. Veteran Caregiver supports those from every service branch and those who served in any conflict. Need information on sandwich caregiving? EFMP or aging issues, VeteranCaregiver.com provides information and community to those managing busy lives with compassionate care. That's VeteranCaregiver.com, support for those who care. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion about telehealth with Dr. Tim Hoyt of the National Center of Telehealth and Technology, T2. Tim, right before the break, you were talking about something that I was unfamiliar with. Can you explain what MCARE is? So MCARE was a performance improvement project. It stands for mobile care and was essentially a, a a technology-based solution that allowed case management for wounded warriors who were geographically separated from um, warrior transition units. And so this was a platform that allowed um, sort of both a teleconsultation and a web-based portal so that we were able to really link up um, the, the care provision team with uh, good information and assessments on the web with mobile technologies to do things like appointment reminders and everything else. And it was really a step forward toward a broader vision of connected health uh, in the Army. Now, is this part of the FERP, the federal... Uh I'm, I'm, lost in, I'm lost in my acronym. Anyway, their, their medical recovery plan, does this become part of their medical recovery plan, the use of mobile technology? Um, I think, yes. Um, more broadly, we, we know from uh, things even up to the National Defense Authorization Act that they're starting to push more of this integration of technology into care to mm-hmm. improve outcomes for patients by finding every way that we can to... Um, really get good care to these patients. You know, this begs the question, what percentage of our troops are receiving telecare? So 
uh, last year there were over 41,000 telehealth encounters uh, just in the garrison environment for the Army. And so these are literally thousands and thousands of appointments. It still represents only a small percentage of the overall care that's going on, mm-hmm. but um, overall we're, we're really looking at rolling these things out to all available areas to really leverage, especially for those uh, specialty care uh, um, specialties, you know, we're, we're really rolling this out throughout all of the enhanced multi-service markets. As you're looking at this, it also comes to mind that Guard and Reserve are also separated often from care, either that or receiving care in the private sector. And are you trying to loop them into continuing their care if they were part of telehealth, say, downrange, then they come back here as a wounded warrior? Is it utilized also for our Garden Reservists as opposed to those are in the WTUs and WTBs? Right. So there's a huge area there where we're still trying to find the right mix of care to ensure that there is seamless transition, whether someone's moving from being on active duty orders to going back to their reserve unit to then perhaps transitioning to the VA. And mm-hmm. so um, some of the initial links are still happening there. Uh, for example, with the, the new electronic health record who's coming, the VA has already pushed out the, this joint legacy viewer that's able to link um, the medical records. Um, but fully leveraging telehealth um, you know, it is still an area for improvement. Um, one of the things that we've been able to do through our efforts uh, at the National Center for Telehealth and Technology, for example, has been our after-deployment website that provides comprehensive information about every um, condition related to psychological health that may be related to deployment. We have workshops on the website. We have all kinds of of products and links to our mobile technologies as well. And so, you know, we're not quite to the point where, you know, a service member may be there in his home and, and, uh, able to just dial up on his personal uh, tablet computer and talk directly to a, a physician, but you know we're driving toward a better system of connected health for for all the components. Excellent, um, Dr. Hoyt. How many of those forty-five plus thousand um, telehealth connections would you say involved uh, behavioral or mental health? Um, behavioral health is really leading the way with this. So right. probably 80 to 85 percent of those encounters involve uh, behavioral health. And, and you can understand why that might be. A, a psychiatrist or a psychologist may be less dependent on doing a physical exam with the patient than maybe some other medical specialties. I mean, your, your orthopedics guys, they, they kind of need to still actually touch your body to be able to do their exam well. But in behavioral health, we've been able to really lead the charge with this, and and especially in driving empirically supported treatments and being able to translate the knowledge from the scientific literature and get it out to the patient in the best ways. That's fantastic because I actually, um, I remember this show, I can't remember um, the actress, but they had this show on HBO where she was Skyping and she was talking to her patients and, um, you know, it was kind of like a comedy, but in reality, I was like, that's very viable for people who may feel um, that they don't want, you know, to do face-to-face therapy or, you know, in this instance with active duty um, patients, like maybe there's a little bit more 
um, I don't know, they feel a little bit safer maybe with this type of therapy um, modality to be able to not have to go somewhere to, but, you know, feel a little bit more safe um, in their addressing of, I guess, whatever their behavioral issues are, or any type of mental health. Um, what do you think about that? Right. I, I think any opportunity we have to get the care closer to where the service member or the veterans are living is going to improve quality of life. I mean, I think of the example of my father-in-law. He was a, an artillery first sergeant, a Vietnam veteran, and for years he was traveling from rural Minnesota um, out to the VA in Fargo, North Dakota. And round trip, he would usually lose an entire day just to yeah. get specialty care um, because of the distance and the travel and everything. Now, you know, similarly, say if a, a military child needed specialty care from a civilian hospital or a specialty hospital that was further away, you could similarly lose all of that time trying to get back and forth to a particular specialty appointment. I think all of our... Um, you know, military spouses out there could identify well with, you know, I've, I've just lost all this time trying to, to get all of these military kids to their, their correct appointments and whatnot. And so any of those areas, I think, we could completely leverage telehealth and technology in order to improve care. You know, you bring up a good point with the children because I know, for example, there is not a developmental peds, a pediatrician at every post. And so diagnostic care has to be done for things like autism and other developmental disorders. And I know that they are moving more towards uh, being able to use telehealth for an observational diagnosis, that kind of thing. So this is not only for our service members, but it is also for family use. Exactly. I mean, one of one of our partners out at uh, Triple R Army Medical Center has even gone so far as being able to link telehealth into the school to provide some school-based behavioral health and support for uh, kids with developmental disorders or with autism. And we've seen some very promising results from those pilot programs. Now, you talk about a lot of these pilot programs. How long has telehealth been an option? And when do you feel that you'll have enough studies that it will be able to be rolled out in a more expansive way? So I, I think the literature base is there. There have been plenty of studies. There have been plenty of pilot programs showing we can do this effectively and safely across the continuum of care. Um, you look just at, at a place like out at Fort Bragg and they have just Dozens of programs, you know, teledermatology, telepharmacy, telenutrition care, even teleneurosurgery. All of these specialties are, are there and available, and we've shown proof of concept. But one of the implementation barriers remains getting to a centralized network with this. And we, we haven't cracked the nut about how exactly to work that, but I think we're moving in the right direction. The, the fact that telehealth has been included in drafts of the upcoming NDAA, it, it shows that 
there is attention to this, and really we, we just need to work, overcome these last few hurdles about things like centralized credentialing, centralized scheduling, so that, um, say, one provider at, at one network down at, say, Fort Benning is able to see, oh, there is an opening out on the West Coast at Madigan Army Medical Center. If, if there was centralized scheduling, yeah, we could potentially leverage that so they'd be able to talk to each other. Uh, I'm, do you have a rough time frame? I mean, are we talking years? Are we talking months? Are we talking a, a, a semi-rollout over regions of the country? Because I'm certain some of our listeners are thinking, that would work for me. When will it be coming to my area? Which also brings up two points. One, rural vets make up 40% of the veteran population, but it also makes up a large uh, group of the garden reservists. And Second of all, how do people access this? What is the best way to access this if this seems like a good alternative for you because of travel distance or wait times? How do people know to access this and what's the process? Well, let me let me take that a, a few chunks at a time there. Uh, so we do have regional po- uh, programs that are fairly well established. For example, here in the Puget Sound Enhanced Multi-Service Market, there are links between the Army Hospital, the Air Force Base, and up to the Navy Hospitals in the area. And so we're very well connected there where we've got availability of specialties such as psychiatry that are able to very quickly dial in and, and address problems through telebehavioral health. There's a similar pilot programs going in the national capital region to link the telehealth services between those posts. Mm-hmm. And so for those um, service members, for example, who aren't in those regions, I think the best thing to ask is just ask the question. You know, go okay. to your provider and say, you know, I'd be interested in telehealth or there's a particular barrier that, you know, can we utilize a a technology-based solution. My guess is your providers know about some of those, but it may not be culturally okay. yet the first thing that they lead with in suggesting Good. avenues for care. All right. We're going on another short break. We will be back right after this short moment. And thank you for listening. We'll be right back. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles, entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. On Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive.
continuing our discussion with Dr. Tim Hoyt about telehealth. You mentioned right before the break that the best way to access care is to simply ask your primary care provider for either a referral or a, a reference person to contact. Is that a generally easy process? Does it require a, an approval? And is it more related to uh, the availability as opposed to the option of, of undertaking it? Um, so, again... It, uh, it loops back really to what capabilities have been locally established at this point. Okay. Um, so as a veteran myself, I've seen, you know, working, you know, as a, someone who receives their care in the VA, um, there are those areas where it's much more established. And so particularly we're able right now in the VA system to link the community-based outpatient clinics to um, the, the main medical facilities and, and really get that care out to more of the geographically separated areas. Um, there's also those uh, capabilities with home telehealth uh, that, I mean, all the way back to April 1924 on the cover of Radio News, there was the idea of this teledoctor <laughs> that could just uh, conduct his entire um, his entire diagnostic interview from... Uh, home and you never have to leave the comfort of your bed. Um, we're not quite there yet, but we do have the ability <laughs> to, to say monitor things such as blood sugar and, and have the, your blood sugar monitor connected back to the clinic, back right. to your diabetes specialist where he's able to show, um, yes, you've been compliant with this. Here we have more problems and, and that signal is able to get to the, um, care provider much faster in that way so that they know a patient's been um, compliant. Now, that doesn't necessarily quite address how do we get that referral. Um, again, it, it comes back to the ask and, and making sure that um, your provider knows, you know, I'd be interested in is there a way to leverage technology to uh, enhance my care here and, you know, it, it, those referrals generally are going to be no more complicated than any other specialty referral. Okay. That makes sense. Um, it also seems like a wonderful avenue for teleeducation. So, for example, someone who's newly diagnosed with diabetes, to be able to connect them to a diabetes educator, for example, is just one thought. Is it used in that manner, or is more of the care directed to direct behavioral health or diagnoses or clinic-to-clinic care? Um. So I think there's a lot of facets there, especially with the nurse educators. Um, they've been able to really leverage in the VA system direct care to the patient at home. And so rather than relying on, you know, come back to the clinic in four days so that you can have a nurse education session, the nurses are able to follow up directly and, and use that in-home kind of telecare to provide things like, you know, initial uh, education on a new diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that, that, I think, is fairly well established, especially in the VA system. Well, I think it's a good use of the technology and time. It, it allows people to truly put more efficient use of their time to work, as well as providing the customer experience that I think everyone is aiming for at this point. They're really looking to answer the need for timely care, um, for the attention that they need and deserve and are having some time getting some appointments at times. So this seems like it really does fill some of the gaps that are coming up in terms of reaching people in a timely fashion and delivering that care. Would that be accurate? 
Definitely. You know, the travel part is really a big help to a lot of people. And I think also the specialty staffing shortfalls, because those fall around the country. Uh, That's not only in the military medical system. That's also in the private care system. When you look at telehealth, how is it being received by those who are advised to do it as opposed to those who seek it? Because I imagine the seekers are really very positively motivated when they go in, but those who are offered it as an option, how is that initial receptivity? So if you just ask somebody cold, um, most of the time they're going to say that they'll they'll indicate a preference for face-to-face care. They won't say, you know, I really want to talk to my doctor on a computer. They're going to say, you know, I want to be right there in the room. I want to see it. But um, usually that preference will even out after they've had a telehealth uh, experience. So we published a study a few years ago on how to leverage telehealth in uh, post-deployment screenings. So at the time, every person coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan had an opportunity for a face-to-face visit with a behavioral health provider. And so when we were able to... Um, give them an option between do you want it to be face-to-face or was it okay if you um, do a, a teleconsult for this? Um, you know, it was probably 50-50. They, they didn't show a lot of um, preference necessarily, but after they would experience that, um, there, there was much more bias in favor of seeing, you know, this leveraging the technology, it was no different than being there face-to-face with my provider. Um, the, the technology has vastly improved so that there's adequate bandwidth and we're able to show, um, you know, I can see what's going on with my uh, provider and, you know, vice versa. So, um, you know, even though someone who's more comfortable with technology may prefer this at at first, or or someone who has less experience will prefer face-to-face, um, you can really quickly become accustomed to using the technology. Well, it also seems as though these more recent conflicts, you really are looking at people who are very tech-savvy, who are comfortable communicating via smartphones, tablets, phones, etc. And so it appears to me that Maybe this is erroneous, but do you find that once they have been exposed to it, you mentioned that there is a bias or a preference to it. Is this the coming way of being able to um, do the follow-up meetings and that kind of thing uh, or the uh, reminders and those kind of things that you were talking about before that take up time uh, for the medical providers but also promise a continuity of care if people are Um, given the opportunity to communicate two-way with their physicians, their care teams, their nurse practitioners, the educators. You're exactly right. I mean, when I was in Afghanistan, I saw, you know, technology is really ubiquitous. You know, instead of a dog-eared novel, you could carry a Kindle Fire with you to read during your downtime on a mission. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of calling home on a, you know, on a normal old telephone, uh, you could Skype back with your uh, family members in garrison. And it's no different in this connected health rollout. Um, We're really moving toward a position where um, at 
you'll get to the point where you can schedule your appointment online, you can send the information from your Fitbit to your provider ahead of time, send a secure message about these are the things that I want to make sure we talk about, and then your provider will have that much linkage. I mean, be able to get your information into the electronic medical record, be able to consult with specialists through uh, telehealth, and then have this remote health monitoring so that we're able to see the entire picture. I mean, we're really becoming connected uh, across the entire spectrum, and that can be as easy as things as having a mobile phone reminder, hey, take your medication at this time, or remember to complete that sleep log that you need to fill out for your doctor. Oh, Dr. Hoyt, that's fantastic, because I think just with, um, in, even in the veteran space, but, but more in what you're doing, the reminders are really critical, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about families and um, caregivers that have to um, work with their um, service member or veteran with post-traumatic stress disorder and perhaps TBI, TBI, right? right? So they forget the appointments and you're like, oh my God, you know, a lot of caregivers took on a lot of that kind of responsibility that I have to keep track of the medications. I have to have this log. I have to actually write it down. I mean, you know, old school binders is, is what I'm talking about here. And if you can help the fa- help the service member like you're doing it and in turn help um a spouse or family member, um, then that, that just helps a lot. That alleviates a problem. And then they can also participate in any type of uh, behavioral telehealth as well, along with the service member. I think that's, I think that's profound and a move in the right direction, um, you know, personally. I just just a, a weight that lifts off of, you know, the heart. It weighs heavy on a lot of our family members. Um, I have a question for you. How many uh, – how how – I guess successful is this rollout for just specifically family members. So how many, and you might've touched on this a little earlier when we started uh, delving into, I think Linda had asked you a question about uh, families, Um, but uh, how successful do you think this has been with family members? Um, I don't have the specific numbers in front of me for like how many encounters we had last year with family members, but um Maybe an anecdotal story shows the the real benefit of this. I mean, there there was a case um, with a a cancer diagnosis that happened um, a far-off area, a a military kid who was out on uh, Okinawa with her family. And so her initial care was done in Hawaii at at Tripler Army Medical Center. And then her follow-up, though, was able to be handled by the um, specialty care physician at the major hospital, even though she returned back to her family, she was able to, you know, finish out her school year there um, with, with her peer group. And then the care was able to also then follow her all the way to Fort Benning, where her family then PCS the next year. And so that allowed for such continuity of the care um, for this uh, specialty care, that the same physician was able to follow this case um, really across the entire care episode into uh, the remission of the condition. And so, you know, that, that just really shows that this can get into the lives of our military families and really alle- alleviate so much headache and difficulty that they would have faced even just a few years ago. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Linda and I always, you know, we're, we're looking, I, I know you pretty, pretty much know this already, but just ways to help in, in, with regards to better care for, for the family members. I think it's really critical. And 
um, that's that's a good um, anecdote. That's a good vignette. That's a wonderful story. I, I think that we have only a short time before we go on break, um, our final break, but we will come back to some of these things. I think the family member, I think the involvement, and I love the fact that it really is becoming more widespread. After the break, I would love it if we could discuss the care team receptivity, the physicians and the educators, and how are they accepting what is going on in this telecare field, and do they enjoy that this option gives them the opportunity to interface on a different level. So we're going on a short break. We're talking to Dr. Tim Hoyt, the Deputy Director of the National Center of Telehealth and Technology, and we'll be back after these short messages. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. dynamic woman? Sandra Beck and Linda Crater host Dynamic Women Talk Radio, bringing lively weekly shows in a roundtable format with influential guests from around the globe. This amazing tribe of diverse and accomplished women share their candid views on topics such as reputation, handling rejection, loyalty, what is sexy, overthinking, blended families, and much more. Discussions are joyful, with freedom to address topics from various perspectives with candor, respect, and no judgment. These are the conversations you wish you could have with all your family and friends. Dynamic women have lived their lives boldly with unexpected and sometimes undesired turns in the road of life. Yet detours and bumps bring opportunity, personal growth, more authenticity, and a fresh outlook. Join our welcoming tribe of dynamic women each Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, also on iTunes, and more information at dynamicwomentalkradio.com. Celebrating vibrant, charismatic women everywhere. the break, Tim, we were talking about, or I was asking you about, what is the physician and care team receptivity to using telehealth? Does it increase their efficiency, letting them feel like they really are more productive and raising morale? Because I think that it's it's pretty obvious. It's in the news that there's wait times, there's difficulty receiving care. And if this is a way to improve it and, and allow for better connectivity, communication, and connection between care team and patients, it seems as though this would be good. But is it? Is it well-received? I think it's being very well received and adopted. So uh, at the National Center for Telehealth and Technology, we have an education team that travels all over the country. I mean, they've been to just this year already uh, six different military treatment facilities, uh, trained hundreds of providers on leveraging um, telehealth and mobile technologies in their practice and um, enormously high rates of intention to use, you know, 90% plus say, you know, I'm going to use this tomorrow in my care. I'm really going to get a hold of this and, and find a way to, to leverage this and improve um, patient care availability. And that is maintained. 
I mean, we followed up with these uh, providers three, six months later, and still 85% of them are saying, yes, I'm, I'm using these products, I'm using this technology to help improve the lives of my patients. So I think it's very, very enthusiastic response among the providers that, that get this training. They all want to say, you know, I, I'm using this, this is something that I can apply tomorrow in, in mm-hmm. my uh, care for these patients. Well, the reality is people go into the health professions, the helping professions, because they want to help. And so I would think that this gives them a really great new tool to use. Is this also tied into the use of what we'll also call mobile technology, which are the the, the vans and the mobile traveling health centers that go around the country, which are also working to fill a gap? Right. So... These days, we're to the point where every single phone is a medical device. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the National Center for Telehealth and Technology has released um, several mobile applications that that address getting this product into the lives of your patients. Um, A few years ago, the Army Surgeon General proposed this model where um, there is the white space where patients live their lives. And... um, Direct care provision really only filled a tiny little dot of that white space because we only spend maybe 100 hours with the patient total, you know, in the course of an entire year. But if we can use mobile technologies to get into that white space, uh, for example, earlier this uh, year, the uh, T2 released the Dream Easy app that, that helps with nightmare resolution. And so if a service member can use that application and help improve their sleep, that gets then, instead of a tiny little dot, that gets then into 30% of of their entire life. If they use then a a sleep tracker like our CBTI coach, um, that application can allow them to show their doctor, these have been my sleep patterns. And it really gets into their entire lives to improve their uh, family and personal life, to uh, improve all of the time that they spend at work because we're able to send these mobile technologies with them right there in their pocket. You know, you're bringing up an entirely new topic at this point because if you're also talking about integrating the use of apps and, again, using smartphones, which are so ubiquitous these days, you really are talking about providing the two-way connection between patients and care team, which then improves health outcomes. Definitely. I mean, this is a way that we can really get into the lives of our patients. And so um, if I've got uh, a mobile app, for example, the the T2 Breathe to Relax app, um, it provided uh, a a means that no matter where you are, you can practice a relaxation, a breathing exercise to calm yourself down. Say a patient is in the middle of a flashback or is in a a crisis, um, we're, we're able to reach them where in the past maybe they had a panic attack, they went to the emergency room, and and we know how much trouble it can be spending hours in an emergency room. Compare that to if I can just slide out my mobile phone, no one knows the difference. If I'm playing a mobile game versus I'm using uh, a mobile health application and calm myself down and get back to the point where I can continue living my life, um, this is a way that, that we really can leverage technology to improve the health of our service members. Excellent. Now, how do people find out more about those things that you're talking about? Is there a website? Is there a phone number? What is the best way to learn more? 
Right. Well, the best place I want to direct people is our T2 website, which is t2health.decoe.mil. So again, it's t2health.decoe.mil or the DECO Outreach Center, um, which they can reach at um, uh, decoe.mil slash outreach. I'm going to say those over again just to make sure it's all clear. So T2 is T for tango, 2, the number 2, health, t2health.dcoe.mil. And I understand there's also an outreach center, and I, I have a phone number for that. I believe this is correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. 866-966-1020. Is that right? That's right, Linda. Thanks. You're welcome. I, I think that it's we, we're we making it easy with technology. We now need to make it easy to find it, access it, use it, because listening to you talk is very exciting, knowing that this is being used to implement and add efficiencies to healthcare. I like also the way that it is improving the care team's re, um, relationship with patients as well. I think it's it's extremely important. Can you talk a little bit, we have very little time left, but a, you know, a couple of minutes, five minutes or so. Can you talk about home health use of telehealth? Right. So again, I don't want to send the wrong message that we're already to a point where you can just sit at home on your laptop or a mobile device and speak directly to your provider and, and have your care seamlessly delivered in that way. Because okay. The DOD still wants to ensure that we've got privacy and security with regard to those technologies. Mm -hmm. um, we want to make sure that your medical information is not leaking out somewhere else because of, you know, leveraging these technologies. And so even though patients may say, well, why can't I just go all the way to my house and, and see my physician that way, um, you know, we're, we're not quite there yet because because of concern for um, making sure that, that the data is secure. But um, there are all of these programs where we're able to do things like in-home monitoring, in-home um, nurse interaction, or through these websites where you're able to directly email your provider and discuss concerns in between visits, again, in that, that white space. And so, you know, that's where I think uh, patients can really still leverage these technologies from home, even if we're not quite to the point where you can, say, have a video teleconference direct from your bed on a sick day. That makes sense. But I think that using this for some of those in-between visit kind of things, such as the education or um, the protocols between visits and monitoring new health conditions, diagnoses, etc., does offer a, a way that is probably very easy to implement on the part of the person at home, especially if there are travel difficulties or uh, mobility issues, but it really just offers more options. And I think whenever we're offered choices, uh, it helps us to deal with circumstances a lot better. So I think one of the biggest things that I take away from this discussion today is that the technology offered by the T2 program does give choices to healthcare options when you seemingly have hit a barrier. You can ask about something else. Um, you can have a nurse educator help with questions that may need answering. So I, I think that this is all a, a wonderful way to, as you say, integrate the healthcare delivery and also to 
simply show the absolute determination by the agencies, both of them, DOD and VA, to really try and get to the root of good delivery of health care. We have about three minutes left, Tim. I want to give that to you to talk about whatever it is that we may not have covered so far that you feel is important that our listeners know, and then we'll also give out your websites and the phone number again. Again, I think I just want to highlight that, you know, we we really are at a place where we can leverage this technology. The entire face of healthcare is changing to this more connected and consistent patient experience. And so that, that leads the whole way from remote health monitoring to teleconsultation to um, even staffing complex cases. I mean, we have here at our hospital uh, a weekly um, virtual pain clinic where for patients with complex pain needs who are being addressed by multiple specialties, we get on the, a teleconference and you know, securely discuss, these are the needs of this patient. There's a case care conference that's not just multidisciplinary in the hospital. It's multidisciplinary throughout pain centers throughout the nation where these wounded warriors really are getting the best care that they possibly could. And, and we really want to highlight that, that this is available. Um, the, the technology of the future is here. We just need the help to get it more evenly distributed and make sure that everyone has access. Excellent point, and certainly chronic pain is an issue for many, and I I think just having this option to ask questions and find out where it is allows you also to have, again, more options. Uh, We want to give the website out again. It would be T, the letter T, the number 2, health.dcoe.mil, and the outreach center to call is 866 966 one zero two zero. Pam, do you have anything you'd like to add? No, I just, I mean, other than this has been really enlightening and wonderful, and I'm glad to hear that you're working with families of service members and that they um, are receptive. It sounds like as, as this rolls out more that they'll be more receptive. So I hope people, um, you know, take advantage of, of visiting the website and, and calling the number and finding out more for themselves. This will help them, you know, and save time for caregivers and save gas and all of that aggravation really for, for family members, I think. <laughs> I agree with you. And I think it will also make a new pattern of care where people are finding it more accessible to refill their prescription, talk to their specialist, be educated about something new. Love it when we can leverage technology for the betterment of the patients. Well done. Tim, thank you so much for joining us so early in the morning from the West Coast. We're very appreciative. And we thank you so much for talking about the role of telehealth and technology in patient care. And we are delighted to have hosted you today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Pam. Thanks, Linda. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Mill Resource Radio. For more information, go to millresourceradio.com.